of our study in Hebrews, looking our eyes, looking to Jesus, lifting our eyes, fixing our eyes upon him. We've made it through the 10 big chapters, the doctrinal teaching chapters. We've come now to 11, 12, and 13, which, uh, you know, popularly known as more of the practical chapters, the ones that, that tell us how now we take the doctrine and live it out. And, um, but I, I don't, not to be overly contrived, um, but there is a sense, I think, in which we can see Oh, missional kinds of thought in chapters 12 and 13. Our vision, right? That becomes a, a buzzword, kind of a key word in business and institutions, organizations. Our vision, what is our vision? Our vision is like this in verse 2. Fix our eyes on Jesus. That is the vision. That's the vision. That's what we're to see. That's what our goal, our ambition, our drive is to see Jesus, to fix our eyes upon him. The chapter continues in verse 5. We'll call this our vocation. It's our, we, we tend to think of that as our job, uh, our occupation, and that's partly true. But the word vocation is the word from voce in the Latin, meaning calling, our calling. And what does God call us in chapter 12 and verse 5? Preach at me. What does God call us in chapter 12, verse 5? I asked you to open your Bibles. Yeah, there you, Now you can look at your Bibles too. Sons. He has called us to be sons. That is our calling. That is our vocation. Now, I know we're mixed in gender. That's, that's okay. The, the word sons became one of those terms to understand the brotherhood, the sons, the family of God. Our vision, our vocation, our values then flowed in the rest of chapter 12, things like humility, holiness, faith, festivity, worship itself is a value, the, the presence of God, his word, his treasure that he is within his word. Those things are our values. That's what we hold dear as a community of faith. Now we come to chapter 13, and this is what we're going to do, our ventures. Again, I hope not overly contrived with four Vs, but it might get us thinking this way. What is it that we do? And there's, I'm going to outline this in four, four ships sailing across the sea. Uh, fellowship, stewardship, leadership, and worship. A fleet. Let brotherly love continue, verse 1 says. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, and thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. and Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
This section we'll call fellowship. Different applications of it, different uh, ways in which our fellowship will be realized and lived out. We're called a family. We're called brothers. And so we're to demonstrate brotherly love. We're called the sons of God. We're the family of God. Chapter 2, verses 10 to 18, is a, a larger extended paragraph talking about we are called sons. In fact, sons with Christ. Children of God. So this, this indeed is, is what it is to live in a fellowship. A family community. The Christians are going to be hated. Jesus told us this in uh, his discourse to the disciples just before his crucifixion. We see a good section of this in John's Gospel. Chapter 14, 15, 16, his prayer even into chapter 17. The world will despise them even as they had despised our Lord Jesus himself. And we're going to need one another in the midst of that misfit in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the persecution, we need one another. We are the community. But we're to do it in love. And we could expound extensively on what love is. Love is indeed is an action, right? It's a verb. It's shown in, in how we care for one another. We do it in proportion to our abilities. We do it in relationship to our talents and our gifts. We love and we serve. Well, it is not only this, but it, it goes to hospitality. Verse 2 says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, this is kind of a, a more literal rendering of, of the word hospitality. Um, hospitality to strangers. It's really just one word, and, and it... it um, Philozeneo, philozenos, philos, you might hear the word phileo, love there, and zeno, zenos, maybe you think of the word xenophobia, afraid of foreigners, afraid of strangers. So it, this is one word uh, translated by the entire phrase, enter, um, show hospitality to strangers is really just love foreigners. Wow, that, that has some interesting dynamics today to love foreigners, always did. Now, it became, a, it became um, from that root, uh, the Middle Eastern culture, of course, someone would come to town and, and there are no hotels, no motels, no bed and breakfasts. As someone comes to the center of city, and uh, you happen to, to be there when they come, and, and it is your, your cultural, societal, civil responsibility to provide room and shelter, food, rest for them. And so you bring them into your home. But it became a, a more general term as things go on for simply uh, offering lodging, and uh, Peter is given lodging uh, in the house of Cornelius. Uh, Paul is given lodging by different people in his ministry, people who they did know one another, and they knew of one another. They weren't complete strangers. It is, it is a general application of hospitality, as, as we might think of it. 
Now, it is a broader an extension to, to those that perhaps we don't know personally, but, but maybe through someone we are acquainted. We're to show hospitality. We do this because we belong to the family of God, and the family of God eats together, drinks together. We do this primarily, I suppose, at the Lord's table, which in, in the original days was an entire meal, was the Lord's Supper. Yeah? Not the Lord's hors d'oeuvres, the Lord's Supper. And uh, they would enjoy that. After, after they had the full day uh, of work, they would come together on the Lord's Day in the evening and fellowship together around the table. And it, it, this word aptly fits the descriptive of the church. See, Every tribe, every language, every nation is to be part of the church. It'll vary a little bit within the local context, obviously, won't it? But we know that uh, here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This gathering should be one of the most unified, diverse, ethnic centers in the city. Right here, in this gathering. Paul, uh, again, writes to the Corinthians about this unity and this partaking of one another. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as the body is one, and has many members, so all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now if that's a spiritual reality, then we show that, we manifest that in a physical reality. We eat together, we drink together, show hospitality. Now, there's all kinds of handy little books out on the practice of Christian hospitality. We commend those to you. Uh, some will be more helpful than others. But um, we kind of have a little bit of a collection, I suppose, don't we? We just found another one on date night. Um, but I suppose you're more interested not in how to practice hospitality, but we're going to have angels in our house? Well, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. I mean, we could talk about all kinds of phenomena out there, but we do know that it's happened. Abraham, in Genesis 18, visited by a couple of messengers from God. Gideon, at the threshing floor in Judges 6, was visited in um, uh, uh, Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson, were visited by an angel and offered hospitality to them. Well, let's not dwell on the unusuals. The normal is indeed hospitality to one another. Yes, you have welcomed me, a Scandinavian person, into the Dutch community. And it's been good. Well, it goes on. Remember those that are in prison, verse 3, as though you were in prison with them 
Now, this isn't a, a general, broad prison ministry that's mentioned here. Not that that's wrong. Uh, it, it could and should be something availed to us. But the specific setting and context here is that because we're all part of the same body, then we want to take care of our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are in prison because of the faith they've expressed in Christ. Maybe they've preached the gospel and they're in prison. Maybe, maybe they've had their lands confiscated because of their testimony to Christ. This, this is the situation uh, that, that had been here. In chapter 10, verses 33 and following, we get this reality check. Well, 32 picks it up. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened and endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, you know, misused, misabused, mistreated. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and a biting one. Now, they've done this in the past, and there's an anticipation of yet another uh, round of heavy persecution, and they know that if they go to the prison, we've talked about this a couple of times in our study, they maybe get a, a morsel of bread and a bit of water, but the prisons were not um, stocked. They weren't given provisions by the government. They weren't given provisions by the city officials, the, the constable. No, if, if I end up in prison, it's, it's incumbent upon my family and my friends to bring me something to eat, to bring me a blanket, to bring me other necessities that, you know, just to survive within the dank dungeon. If I don't have family that's willing to expose themselves and identify themselves with me, I'm going to suffer immensely, perhaps likely unto death because of the conditions. But it is a danger for those that would, would come and bring assistance because now they're identified with the prisoner. And of course, we know the charge is faith and profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you must be one as well. And so we're going to confiscate your property. We may just throw you in prison as well. There's a, a hesitancy and a reticence. He'd been through it once. Oh, no, here it comes again. Boy, you know, I was able to, to help last time. I, just, I don't think I'm able to help this time. All right? I do share and talk in the community and in the neighborhood and in the circle of pastors. And, uh, you know, inevitably, even though we're a couple years down the road, comes up, what was COVID like in your church? Right? Well, it's okay. I mean, not ideal, not best is okay. We made it. And, you know, on discussions go. But my, my concern is, okay, it was tough enough the first time. What if, what if this comes again? I mean, we all knew everything the first time. We're going to know even more the second time, don't we? And so our reaction, our response is going to be even quicker, even deeper, 
harsher, with more conviction than we even did the first time? Well, it's the similar kind of thing here. When the suffering and persecution comes, and by the way, that, that was not true persecution and suffering. I mean, there were elements where, okay, wait a minute. The church is at least being it com- will, willfully ignored and in other cases, yes, targeted, but it wasn't a wide-sweeping you know, conspiracy thing yet. But when the real persecution comes, not because we will or we won't do something that the rest of society is or isn't, but when we profess the Lord Jesus Christ and cling to his name, and as a result, the world around us says, this bad stuff happened here in our city because you Christians named Jesus. Okay, then we're going to have the real decisions to make. Then it's real, are we going to stand together or apart? Well, we are to help those that are imprisoned and mistreated because we belong to the same body of believers. Well, we're still in this area of fellowship. It is a, uh, there's a lot of different dimensions here. The fourth, or the next one comes in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Oh. Well, one put it this way. Charity must be linked with purity. So we're going to love the brotherhood. That's going to include uh, your spouse, your husband, your wife. Charity must involve purity. And true purity will look like love. Marriage is to be valued. It's kind of part of the the wording we use uh, in the normal uh, liturgy of a wedding ceremony. It is to be respected above all and by all. It is to be valued in every respect. Um, I think be helpful in this uh, lest, I, lest I digress, simply read for you a couple of uh, passages I've gleaned from other commentators. Robert Gundry, marriage is to be valued in all respects, in particular as the sole legitimate framework for a fulfillment of, I am going to edit a couple words here, I'm learning, sole legitimate framework for a fulfillment of physical intimacy. Outside of that framework, physical intimacy defiles the bed where it takes place and debases marriage. Covenant marriage is the place for physical intimacy. Oh, we can get rigid and you know, where, where, where's the line? That's probably a workshop conversation. Bob Gundry goes on to say, apart from repentance and consequent reformation of conduct, that is, we grieve over it, we repent over it, and we change the way we live. Our behavior changes. God's judgment 
will decree eternal damnation no matter what fornicators and adulterers profess of Christ. We can say the right words, but if our behavior doesn't match the profession, we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to the people around us, it's a false profession. Now, on the positive side, let me say this. God created human sexuality with a beautiful diversity. Two different persons, two different forms of humanity that together are the image of God, male and female. It's a diversity that complements one another, complements each other with physical attributes and characteristics unique and distinctive to share with the other person who also has characteristics unique and distinctive but of an equal and opposite variety. The two uniting is a diverse form of the image of God. That's real diversity. And this Uniting of two diverse forms of the image of God this coming together to enter a union is life-giving, life-producing, flourishing, and multiplying. Why has God established marriage? To have godly offspring, says the prophet in Malachi. That is the purpose. Well, that's the beauty. And this is an admonition to us. To let marriage be held in honor. Well, verses 5 and 6 now turn the corner to another element of application. We've seen this idea of fellowship. Now let's look at a bit of stewardship. Keep your life free from love of money. Notice that there's no definite article there. It doesn't say the love of money. It says love of money. So there's a variety of ways that this could be manifest. Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So love has been presented positively as an application, and now we're shown what we're not supposed to love. We're supposed to love the brothers, we're supposed to love our spouses, we're not supposed to love money. It's negatively. One person said, money has never made anyone rich. Something to think about. Uh, here's another commentator, he, he, he wrote this in pretty nice style. Money can buy you medicine, but not health. Money can buy a house, but not a home. Money can buy companionship, but not friends. Money can buy entertainment, but not happiness. Money can buy food, but not an appetite. Money can buy a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy a crucifix, but not a savior. Money can buy the good life, but not eternal life. So why dwell on it? Why 
spend all of our time there. It's, it's indeed a challenge. Indeed, the way the economy is, it's, it's difficult. And not only the economy of today, but it affects years down the road. I mean, watch the investments. Ouch. Yeah. But to demonstrate the reality, we go back to the Bible. And that's what the preacher to the Hebrews does. He goes back to the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Psalm 118, verses 6 and 7. He uses the Scripture to build his worldview. He uses the Bible to, to inform our ethic, how we are to live. And that's where we go. The Bible is our middle name. Grace, Bible, Church. Well, persecution will likely bring financial loss and the plundering of goods. We read about that in chapter 10. And then they joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. I think I got a lot of growing up to do when it comes to joy. It'd be hard to lose my just shy of an acre of course, I think the bank owns it anyway. At least half of it. Which half, I don't know. Stewardship. We are called not as owners, but as stewards of what God has given to us. And we each get a different allowance. And, you know, like the older kids get a certain allowance and the younger kids get another type of allowance, you know, it's... Maybe a challenge for some of the kids looking at what the other kids get. How come they got a quarter and I got a nickel? Well, content with what God has given us. Content with God. And that's what these verses are about. The Lord is my helper. I don't need to fear what anyone else can do to me. Take what they will. God is my helper, and he's enough. God satisfies, God protects, God provides. May come out differently than I think what I need. But God is enough. True contentment never comes from possessing many things, says Warren Wiersbe. It comes when we rest our lives wholly on Christ. So the Christian experience may lack money or resources or commodities, but the heart must be satisfied and enjoy the Lord. Now, the Christian might experience times of plenty. Well, the heart then also must be satisfied with all that God is for us in Christ and enjoying his presence so that now I have the liberty and freedom to give generously. Generously to those in prison, my brothers and sisters that are persecuted without uh, enough to get by, I can give to them and I can give to the apostles, I can give to the missionaries, I can give to the pastors, I can give to the church for the advance of this gospel of Jesus Christ, that Hebrews can be preached in another church in another place in the world. 
So we've seen fellowship, we've seen stewardship, now leadership. I'm in trouble. I really am. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> Sorry. Not a very artistic conclusion. Uh, but there's just too much significant to talk about the area of leadership and then the next one, worship. So we'll extend it a week. And in the providence of God, I looked at my calendar and I have three weeks that I can use. You okay? All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, this, your word. And I ask that you would uh, rule and overrule in the presentation today. Uh, I pray that we would have heard what we need to hear from you, not my words, but your words. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take this as we've talked about fellowship and what it is to live together and would take this idea of stewardship and help us to live out generously and sacrificially uh, love that indeed the way that we treat one another, the way that our marriages are, are pure and passionate the way that our, our, our church gatherings are encouraging and supportive, love. Indeed, as Jesus said, as we love one another, the, the world would know that we belong to him. Make that our testimony. And, and the way that we think and the way that we use the resources that you've given to us, perhaps very close in our allowance would be our incomes, our salaries, um, our pensions, our social security receptions. And we would use, uh, we would use it for your glory and not our own gorging. We would use it for the gospel, not our own gluttony. We would use it for Christ and not our own cravings. May we see the advance of Christ's kingdom and ministry in our neighborhood here as we would see more boys and girls come to know Jesus. As we would see more Moms and dads and men and women and grandpas and grandmas and aunts and uncles come to know Jesus. And Lord, would you multiply the resources and would you multiply our efforts as we turn to him. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.